Absolutely. You just, now, just so you know, you said online learning at the beginning of that sentence. Did I really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, that's on your mind. <laughs> oh, okay. So I don't um, know if you can just say online banking and then you could switch that, edit that in with your editing skills. <laughs> but can I say it without laughing? I know. <laughs> oh, it's going to sound like that those voicemail things where you have to put online your name banking. in. Online banking. Modern Lady Podcast. You're listening to episode 70. Hi, I'm Michelle. And I'm Lindsay. And today we are continuing the discussion on finances. If you've listened to our previous episode from last week, you'll be ready to jump down another rabbit hole with us now. Much like so many other areas of our lives, we would be hard pressed to separate our financial experiences and plans from our faith and the teachings of the church. But does the church have a lot to say on the subject? Well, this week, we're going to dig a little bit deeper. But first, if you enjoy this episode of the Modern Lady Podcast, please take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. Your review can help the Modern Lady stand out so that others may find us too. Your comments mean the world to us. This week's shout out goes to Caitlin Edmonds, who sent us a greeting and comment on Facebook and said, quote, Hello there. I am so grateful to have stumbled upon this podcast only a few months after starting my own homemaking journey. I love the helpful hints, clever insights, and heartwarming joy both ladies offer every week. When listening to the podcast, I feel that I am in good company and fall more in love with my role as a homemaker. It is refreshing to receive these messages in a culture that so often disregards this role. Thank you for all the work you do. Thank you so much, Caitlin, for saying hi and for your comment. We are so glad we can bring a little bit of joy and refreshment to your week. And if you would like to leave us a comment, you can do so on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com, or you can leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram, where you can find us at The Modern Lady Podcast. But before we get into today's chat, Lindsay has our Modern Lady Tip of the Week. I've lost count of how many days, weeks, months we have been in quarantine, but one surefire way of telling how long we have been at home is by looking at the roots of women who color their hair. Just like Cindy Lauper saying, I see your true colors and that's why I love you, so don't be afraid to let them show it's your true colors and they're beautiful like a rainbow. Okay, okay, just because I made the decision to let my gray hair grow naturally before this quarantine started, many women love coloring their hair and are really missing their time at the salon. I know that there are many boxed colors available, but if you're looking for some alternatives that are more, well, how should I say it, natural? Well, you've come to the right place. We all know how much Egyptians loved black, shiny hair. Well, you too can rock the raven locks like Cleopatra by applying a paste of lead oxide and calcium hydroxide, better known as slaked lime, to your head. Don't forget to add that extra lead paste to your eyebrows so they match too. The ancient Greeks had a thing for lighter hair, and they achieved it by mixing wood ash and vinegar. It might have worked, but what is certain is that you'd smell like vinegar and could possibly suffer some serious chemical burns. In medieval times, blondes were all the rage. 
Their method for getting golden locks seemed pretty awesome at first. Well, you mix honey and white wine and apply it to your hair overnight. That doesn't seem that crazy. Then in the morning, add calidine roots, olive matter, oil of cumin seed, saffron, and then rub wood shavings all over your head and leave this mixture on for 24 hours. I'm sure those wood shavings will add a nice glow. Now, for all of us mature ladies with gray peeking through, I have a suggestion for us, and after a few days of rain, it shouldn't be too hard to find some of these ingredients. The Romans made a mixture from ashes, boiled walnut shells, and worms. That's right. Make a paste from squish up worms and rub it all over your head. Let me know if it works. I guess we as women have always struggled with the concept of natural beauty. I'm a little confused as to <laughs> what Which wood one? ash. Wood ash. That come, that's come up a few times. Like, yes. Well, okay. Ashes are, are an important part, actually. This is coming off the top of my head, so I haven't researched ash in general. But from my mm-hmm. knowledge, ashes were a really important part of a lot of like the dyeing process in clothing and in cleaning products. Um, ashes were very, very useful. So much so that that was a job in Victorian England where people would come and collect your ashes for money. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. All right, fine. I'll give them the ashes. <laughs> Maybe I'll sense. do a whole tip on just the uses for ash for everybody. Oh, sure. Yeah. And with the warmer weather coming up and more campfires happening Mm -hmm. and things like that, um, there might be a market. Ooh, side hustle opportunities. Sometimes when we sit down to record an episode, we worry if we will have enough to say on any given topic. Usually we find we have plenty, and occasionally we realize we have way too much for one episode and need to split a topic into two parts. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And this is where we are at now with the spiritual slant on money, debt, and charity. Right, Lindsay? Right. One of the articles I referenced for our episode last week had the headline, The Spiritual Cost of Debt. And I was like, whoa, that stopped me in my tracks. And that led us down the whole rabbit hole of usury and debt as slavery and wealth and Christian charity. And that's everything we kind of want to touch on today. And you and I both will acknowledge that any decisions we make now in our financial lives and in our marriages, it's all rooted in our faith, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. no way around that. And so we can both sit here and share all of our to-dos or our tips about finances. But what we want you guys to understand is that all of that comes from this understanding of Christian charity and how God wants us to manage our wealth and how he wants us to have a life that isn't tied to the slavery of debt. And so that's what we have to address because it is truly what underpins all of our financial decisions. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that it it's an aspect of finances that is often left out, but finances itself is so widely talked about right now. Right. To the point where, like, for a long time, up until very recently, it was two completely different worlds, almost two different mindsets. Uh, But when you start to read about what the church says about how we should use our money, it really starts to manifest itself in more practical and tangible ways. And that will start to impact, as we have found in the daily family budgets and planning for the future and all the things that we kind of alluded to last week. Proverbs 22.7 says that the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is a slave to the lender. If you don't think that you're a slave to your debt, try missing a few payments on something, right? And see what happens. Mm. We want to talk about 
a little bit more about debt first. We talked a lot about debt in our last episode, but just to start off today, we just want to remind ourselves again that debt itself is not a sin in and of itself. Um, We will get a little bit more into detail about what makes it sinful, but if we just want everybody to free themselves as much as possible from that slavery, and that has been true, obviously, since pre-biblical times, um, the scribe Sirach talks about this in 200 BC. He lived in Jerusalem with all of its trade and its travelers, and he realized that, and this is a quote from Sirach 2011, a man may buy much for little, but he will pay for it seven times over. So again, this isn't anything Mm -hmm. new. In fact, it's something that's been talked about way beyond the Catholic church. Obviously, this was talked about in Jewish tradition and Islamic tradition um, and every culture, basically since the beginning of time until recently, right? Which is Mm -hmm. what we were saying. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. And I like that too. Just remembering that I think what's at the core of why it's not a good thing (laughs) is that it's not of God. It can't be of God because God gives us and wants for us freedom. Right. And when we are in debt, it's it's isolating. It induces shame. It keeps you hidden. It keeps you ostracized. It keeps you beholden to people and things of the world apart from him. And ultimately, it is a form of slavery. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, debt, um, maybe not so much a sin, but definitely not a part of God's ultimate plan for us and our our joy, you know. Yeah. And having lived under crushing debt, I mean, none of that offends me. What you're saying is all true and it's everything Mm -hmm. we felt. And so coming out of that, there's a great quote I read on compasscatholic.org and it said, some Catholics who've dragged their way out of debt say not owing money gives them a sense of joy and freedom and gratitude to God. They live out their understanding that everything they have now comes from God. With that understanding comes a thankfulness and generosity towards those in need, a sense that God will provide in good times and in bad, a lessening of a desire to have more and more. And that's certainly been my experience. Mm -hmm. So not having debt, actually, it sounds like an antidote to actually desiring more and incurring more debt. Would it be kind of like eating well? <laughs> so like the more you eat well, the more you desire to eat well, you you desire less of maybe the junk food. And in Absolutely. terms of finances, the further out of debt you have, the more you want to keep going with that. And the less of a desire you have for accumulating more materially. So it's more of a a gratitude, like you're saying, and less, uh, you kind of break that cycle of wanting more and more. Yeah. And I believe if we want to talk about the eating thing and nutrition again, um, there's a thing in eating called leptin um, sensitivity, and it's about like knowing when you're full and when you've been Mm. stuffing yourself full of food for years, that really becomes disrupted. Right. And you can't tell when you're full anymore till you're physically bursting. Like your stomach is like filled up to the top. Your hormone Mm. receptors aren't working. Well, I want to tie that back. And I said that actually in one of our um, episodes on keto or fasting, we talked about this because I likened it at that time when I was growing healthier physically, Uh, I remembered something my sister-in-law had said about finances. I don't know if you remember me saying this, but I remember my sister-in-law saying that she feels very uncomfortable the minute they put anything on a credit card, $50, $100. It doesn't matter. She feels uncomfortable with that just enough to push her to make sure she pays it off. I remember laughing flat out. Like when she told me that, cause I'm like, girl, we owe like $80,000. And I thought, and it didn't, it, it, although it, 
obviously very much bothered me at the time. I thought, what's another 50 bucks? What's another thousand dollars when you owe so much? Mm. But I realized that that sensitivity was completely disrupted in me. And when we got to being debt free, as soon we were in the same position, as soon as we put 50, 100, $200 on the credit card, we strove to pay that off right away versus letting it ever get to that point again. So what you're saying is absolutely right. It's a detachment from desiring things that you no longer need because you realize Mm -hmm. you don't want to go back into debt, but it's also a sensitivity to going back into debt. As soon as it starts to happen, you catch it quicker and you want to fight it as soon as it starts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really like that. It becomes almost like a discipline. So as apart from like mindless consumption, Mm -hmm. you're actually practicing proper maybe discernment and discipline and self-control and uh, prudence in your spending habits. So what about the flip side of debt? What about when people owe you money or perhaps you run a business that makes money off high interest rates on loans that you provide? Well, historically, the Catholic Church has openly spoken out against this, and this is called usury. Usury being defined as making money off the debts of others. And again, like speaking out against debt in general, Christianity isn't alone in the fight against this evil. Judaism considered interest on loans against fellow Jews as a sin against charity. And this is the same in many other religions and nations. It was illegal and considered sinful. The Third Lateran Council in the 1100s even ruled that someone who was practicing usury would be denied the sacraments and a Christian burial. The Council of Vienne, 200 years later, denounced usury as injury to one's neighbor. And another 200 years later, the Fifth Lateran Council, the church finally defined the sinful nature of usury as a way to profit without doing any work. St. Thomas Aquinas, the leading scholastic theologian of the Roman Catholic Church, argued that charging of interest is wrong because it amounts to something like double charging, charging for both the thing and the use of the thing. Aquinas said this would be morally wrong in the same way as if one sold a bottle of wine, charged for the bottle of wine, and then charged for the person using the wine to actually drink it. Similarly, one cannot charge for a piece of cake and for the eating of the piece of cake. Mm Mm-hmm. And as someone who buys cake and wine, I would be really (laughs) upset with that kind of a surcharge. So (laughs) still relevant, St. Thomas Aquinas. (laughs) Always relevant. That's right. (laughs) Even today. Mm -hmm. But you know what? In thinking about usury and all the different aspects of it from a lending and institutionalized perspective and all these things, and I can't think of any other purpose there is than just to make extra money. Like, Mm -hmm. I I can't think of there ever being a just reason that someone would be able to, like, righteously practice it. Like, am I just not seeing it? (laughs) No, I mean, and and the church does. Okay, so there were certain circumstances where the church herself would um, charge interest on certain things that would contribute back to charity or to the building of, like, a cathedral. We're not even going to get into the whole wink-wink indulgences thing right now. Um, (laughs) But um, there were, there are exemptions that the church does allow for when the interest is being used properly. Okay. So, but I love how they called it injury to one's neighbor, because I think in most cases when you're charging an exorbitant amount, so we're not just talking about a little bit of extra. So some of the discussions about this were, let's say you have an item, right? And it's sitting in your garage and you're not using it. When you loan it out to somebody, what you're charging sometimes in interest is that 
that interest acknowledges the value of said object and its value to you, whether you're using it or not, and that having it not in your possession at that time denies you the opportunity to use it. Therefore, it's worth that. Just the item itself is worth mm. possessing. So if okay. th does that make sense a little bit? Yes. So yes. the church acknowledges in, in reality that, that we can make a little bit of money off these. But what it's saying is the ridiculous lending fees, the loan sharks, right? There have been loan sharks since oh, okay. the beginning of time, the money lenders of the Bible. Um, they were charging these ridiculous amounts and, and therefore keeping people slaves to them and then threatening them with violence. This all still happens. This is, <laughs> this is just mm. human nature. And right. so the church was very, very open about this for many, many years. Um, when we think about it, not on that level, because I'm not a loan shark, you're not a loan shark. So we could listen to this and go, mm -hmm. well, it doesn't have anything to do with us. Yep. That's not exactly true because we're going to look here, right? <laughs> there's a, there's a little thing we like to call an examination of conscience that the church likes us to do before we go to confession. And mm -hmm. Catholics are asked to consider if they've broken the seventh and 10th commandments by, and I quote, this is from an examination of conscience now by em employers who charge customers exorbitant prices by those who do not return what they have borrowed by running up a charge account and not paying it, not returning found mm -hmm. articles in your house that you had found, maybe a library book, um, selling articles with hidden defects for the usual price not paying one's bills and by depriving one's family of the necessities by gambling, drinking, or foolish spending. That's hmm. what the church also kind of like puts into here into this usury thing and about the mismanagement of money. These are venial sins that we have to consider when we go to confession. Oh my gosh. There are several in there that just simply describe my library habits. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I'll I'll clean that up as soon as the library is open. <laughs> I, I will promise. be a reformed patron. Yes. <laughs> but it's this is really true with the selling of articles, right? Mm -hmm. Like we now are in this place where with Kijiji and Facebook Marketplace, that we're true. selling things. Are we being honest in all of those dealings when you're selling your house? Are you being completely transparent voluntarily? I mean, we can say, well, by law, we're not required to divulge this, this, or this, but as Christians, are we being honest in all of our business dealings? And so I do think it's a, it's a time for us to step back and think it's not just about things that are happening to us, but about how we are dealing in business with other people. That's true. You know what? This makes me remind, oh, this reminds me of the early Christians, right? Mm -hmm. Like depending on how early you go, uh, they went without in the ways of magisterium or even the Bible, up to a certain yeah. point in time, right? And yet they converted vast amounts of people. And I keep yeah. thinking about this Bible verse, like, by their fruits, you shall know them, mm -hmm. right? And so how we do business, how we live our lives, how we plan our finances is in a way a form of evangel evangelism, right? Yeah. If we act yeah. with honor, like what you were saying, if we act with honesty and justice, um, you know, we have to earn the right to evangelize and how do we do that you know we we do it by living in such a way that people can't help but wonder why dealing with us is different versus with everyone else out there maybe and you know then as saint peter says in scripture actually this was last week's readings <laughs> sunday mass mm -hmm. readings right mm -hmm. when he says always be ready to give an answer when someone mm -hmm. asks you about your hope but you like, who's going to ask you unless there's something different to ask about? Absolutely. So, yeah, like when we manage our money, when we run our businesses or lend or borrow or what have you, 
uh, it really comes back to how we conduct ourselves, even when it comes to our finances, can be used by the Spirit to show compassion, justice, and mercy to people around us. Do you know who else agreed with you? Who? Pope Benedict XVI. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yep. Good company. Yep. Big thinkers, you and him. He yeah. said in his 2009 encyclical, Caritas and Veritate, he wrote, the church's social doctrine holds that authentically human social relationships of friendship, solidarity, and reciprocity can also be conducted within economic activity oh. and not only outside it or after it. The economic sphere is neither ethically neutral nor inherently inhuman as opposed to society. It is part and parcel of human activity and precisely because it is human, it must be structured and governed in an ethical manner. So it's exactly what you were saying. He, he says that mm. our, our, all of our relationships, including those with contained, he said, conducted within economic activity, that doesn't happen outside of our human relationship experience or after we have a human relationship with somebody. It's all one cohesive whole. Mm hmm. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> but I, I love that aspect of it because it might make it easier when we're planning our money or dealing with other people economically and financially to humanize it, like what Pope mm -hmm. Benedict XVI is saying, right? Like there's a person behind that amount. And even with online, that might be more difficult to do these days than it used to in past generations as well, when you actually had to be dealing face to face. Um, sometimes it, it is easier. It could be easier to slip into the temptation of like not being totally truthful, totally transparent, or being totally just in our dealings with money when it's online. You're absolutely right about the anonymity of online banking. Um, I am married to a fraud detective, right? So he deals with victims of online banking crimes all the time. And it is not, they are not faceless victims. And I see the devastation um, that that is happening with, with that. And when you're not dealing with people in person and it is truly, it, it, people commit suicide over it. Like it's absolutely devastating. Mm. And so remembering that there is a person on the end of every one of those dealings, whether you're just selling your kids shoes on Facebook marketplace, right. Or mm -hmm. um, you're signing up a friend to sell for your business. Uh, remembering that there are our lives attached to that. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure many of us have heard the words, the prosperity gospel. And this is something that honestly is not talked about in the Catholic church at all. Um, but I, like most of you have heard th those terms. So we looked into it a little bit. And what I learned is that in the 1950s, there was a movement that swept its way over the United States called healing revivals geared towards mm. Protestants and linked to the theology of the quote, new thought movement of the 19th century. This movement gained steam because it taught that it is God's will it is his will, Michelle, that mm. his people be blessed I got to try to say it like a, like a tent preacher. Hold on. That is people be blessed. Okay. And that if we atoned for our <laughs> sins, we could grow wealthier and protected from both sickness and poverty. That our wealth or lack thereof was linked to how we conducted our faith life. And that the Bible is a contract. This is what's really important. That it is a contract between man and God. And that if we did our part, if we just had enough faith, if we were just charitable enough, if we were just positive enough in our mm -hmm. attitude, then God would 
indeed, that it was, he was promised that he would bless us financially and in our physical health. And then obviously the flip side of that as well, if you're sinning, that's why you have cancer, Michelle. I mean, it's as Mm. clear as that, right? Or if your family is poor, it's because you're not praying hard enough. Well, what a disaster the prosperity gospel is. Oh my gosh. I know. Uh, It's just the issue of having to earn God's love or favor, right? right? And like, that's just not how God works. No. Uh, And there's that story in the Bible too. And I can't remember, I think it was a lame man, the lame man that Jesus heals or people are asking Jesus, you know, whose sin made him lame? Was it his or his parents? Right. And Mm. Jesus, I like to envision it in my mind of Jesus, like that meme. Mm -hmm. You know, that meme where Jesus is like holding up a hand and he's looking like, what? Yeah. yeah. No, Jesus didn't say that one. Yeah. 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 yeah, Of that same ilk. But I picture him being like, nobody's sin. Come on, guys. Uh, But if we're not careful, um, that's something like what the prosperity gospel mentality is. Right. And we can start to wonder, like, am I doing enough? Do I love God enough? Uh, why doesn't he like me? I must not be good enough or trying hard enough. And these are all such huge lies when it comes to understanding the love and the heart of God. Yeah. Yep. And we think, okay, well, nobody really believes that now, right? I mean, you just have to look at the tens of thousands of people who still like pack Joel Austin's church. Mm. Um, But people still do believe this. And I mean, people are eating it up still. It's just that it's changed. We call it the secret, that thing, that that book that was so popular, the law of attraction, right? Or the power Mm. of positive thinking or people's vision boards and visualization techniques. We still want to believe if we believe it, it will come versus if we build it, it will come to quote loosely from the great movie Field of Dreams. <laughs> the one major fault with the prosperity gospel among its many faults is that there's a complete reluctance to accept and embrace suffering. The Catholic mm. Church teaches that God allows for periods of suffering in our lives because he knows that they that those periods, if we use them well, will transform our lives and they will get us to our heavenly reward. St. Paul talks a lot about suffering and man, oh man, did he ever suffer, right? Mm-hmm. He talked about the physical gains he made before he became a Christian and how he la- and how later those gains, he viewed them as a loss because they separated him from Christ. But it was only when he then lost everything, he was able to unite himself to Christ through the suffering and grow in righteousness, righteousness by participating in Christ's suffering. St. Paul wrote that suffering was his way of, quote, becoming like Christ in his death so that he may attain the resurrection from the dead. And that was, this was in Philippians 3. Mm-hmm. So what we're saying is that there's a fine line between trusting that God will provide for your family and that believing that you can attract wealth as you grow holier. These things don't go hand in hand because you and I both believe that God will provide for our families, right? In good time mm-hmm. and bad, but that this isn't through our actions per se, and that we can't like will God and he doesn't owe us wealth or health or any of those things, but we do believe in trusting him and that we have both experienced many times where God has come through for us financially, directly financially, you know, in answers to prayer. Yeah. And surprisingly too. Um, and every time, every time it happens, it's like <laughs> maybe once or twice, it's been like just a, a neat surprise. It's not something you depend upon, right? That's like right. These yeah. Moments where it, it seems like God is um, sending something sending wealth your way or sending money your way right right? um god's not a genie 
right? <laughs> like, right. And he he does things in cooperation with us in our like human lives, right? Mm-hmm. And most importantly, it's always for our good through his will. And that's the part I think we the prosperity gospel misses. It's like yeah. it's it's ultimately still up to God and what he is seeing um, from a bird's eye view of our lives, what's ultimately going to get us to heaven. That's right. So we may not always understand or get what we want, but it is about more than that. He wants us to trust and have hope in his providence for our salvation primarily while working alongside of him the best we can with with where he's put us in history and where we are. Absolutely. You're right. God did give us dominion over this world and, and its mm-hmm. material things, right? He gave that to Adam and that continued through. He gave us the ability to work um, for what we've earned. And I have seen it honestly, time and time again, like lots of times in our marriage. Um, once we started trusting God more and when Jason and I both turned towards God in all aspects of our life, there have been so many times. And these are those times where you grit your teeth and go, thank you, God, because it kind of hurt. Like, so yeah. every single time my husband works overtime and we think, okay, we're going to get ahead. We're finally going to put some money, you know, away for in case there's an emergency and he'll work a bunch of overtime shifts and we put that money aside and we're like, okay, this is it. We're finally four steps ahead. What happens, Michelle? The transmission goes or Mm. something else, or there's a flood (laughs) in our house. And we're always like, our, our initial human reaction is always, oh, there it goes. Right. Of course, we just got ahead with the money and now we have to pay for this. And it's always the same amount. I'm telling you, it's always like to the dollar what we had just gotten ahead. And then a few seconds later, we both step back and go, God totally made sure that we had that amount sitting there to cover that. Yeah, it sucks. We're not going to be able to go away for that weekend or do whatever we had planned. But we had that money sitting there. We didn't have to go further into debt. It's really about how we choose to see all of these things that happened to us. It was a big shift in our mindset for Jason and I going forward. And that we always are in in speaking to God in terms of being thankful for the hardships and for the blessings, because they both still come at us with the same Mm -hmm. speed. But yeah, I I know now I can see his hand all over that, that decade of debt we had, that severe debt so that we had to be broken so that we mm-hmm. can learn to appreciate everything. And then now in the times where we have these moments of plenty, but then something, like I said, creeps along and knocks <laughs> us back down. It's just always being thankful and always turning to God to ask what his will is whenever we have um, these moments, good and bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. Those things always, always come up. And I would love the opportunity to find out if that still happens when you are rich. Oh, yes. (laughs) Well, you make a good point because when we look to the lives of the saints, we are giving countless Mm -hmm. examples of how to give away all of our wealth, right? right. So you and I are like, how do we get wealthy to find out what that's like? But the saints were like, okay, we have all this wealth. We're going to give it all away. And they showed us how to live in holy poverty. And they make it seem like that's truly the only real path towards sanctification. But the truth is our world wouldn't work if everybody gave away all of their material wealth. Some people do need to hold on to material wealth, right? And Mm -hmm. this isn't incompatible with our Christian faith so long as our money management is in alignment with certain principles and values. Now, we know money is a false idol and that greed is a capital sin. But on the flip side, wealth also gives us this immense power and chance to contribute to the common good. 
The mm-hmm. common good as defined by the Second Vatican Council is, quote, the sum of those conditions of social life which allow for social groups and their individual members relatively thorough read, and ready access to their own fulfillment. What that means is that the, through the use of wealth, as St. John Paul too noted, must respect and promote human rights and dignity through the common good. So, yeah, when we look to role models, Michelle, right, we see them getting rid of all, all of their wealth. But we're like, how, how can you manage to be charitable while actually being wealthy? Because the church does allow for that as well. Yeah. And that's actually an article that I saw on that Compass Catholic website as well, where mm-hmm. it talks about how there is the lie of the prosperity gospel, but there's mm-hmm. also the lie of the poverty gospel that Ooh. says, you know, that it's uh, necessary for, for you to give away everything in order to earn your salvation, which is also not true, right? Those right. saints that we talked about were called by God very specifically to do that. And that may not be the call for everybody. Um, and we do have some saints like um, St. Elizabeth of Hungary, for I example. Her. She yes. was a queen, <laughs> yes. but she used her wealth to care for the poor. And even if you think of saints, even modern saints who um, lived in poverty, who had to deal with poverty every single day, like Mother Teresa, um, you know, these these charities and these orders rely on the benev- on the benevolence Mm-hmm. of wealthy people or people who have means to support them in their own ministries too. So you're absolutely right. Like there, there is a middle line and the church has always kind of shied away from being too extreme mm-hmm. one way or another in many, many areas, because it is supposed to all be separate parts, all of us being open to God's specific call to our own separate lives, but using those vocations to assist one another's vocations ultimately. I love that. And now you mentioned Mother Teresa and there was this successful businessman in Montreal and he had inherited a very profitable company and Mm -hmm. he was a practicing Catholic and he actually had the chance to talk to Mother Teresa and he asked her how he should conduct business. And she Mm -hmm. said, step one is realizing that although he owns the company, the company is not his company. Do you get Mm -hmm. that? She's like, it's not your company. It's God's company. Namely, that all things come from God. And this forever changed how this man ran the company. He had prayer areas built into all of his factories, readily accessible for all of his employees. And he gave all of his employees a paid day off every year so that they could perform acts of charity within their communities. Wow. Yeah. And this is one of the things that Jason and I have really discovered over our faith journey is that. And I mentioned this on our last episode, one of the things we did as we were coming out of debt and then starting to work towards building a little bit of wealth. And for us, again, wealth is being able to pay your bills and maybe do a vacation every three years with our kids. So that's our, that's our height of wealth. But we, I mentioned that we used to look towards our friends who were doing a good job of it and go, Hey, give us some tips. Like, what are you doing? As our faith developed, we really narrowed that down to watching how some Catholic families really do it. Because we have some Catholic families that have worked very, very hard and have lived beautiful lives, but that are have really struck that balance that you were talking about between being charitable and then also enjoying the fruits of their own labor. Now, before we talk a little bit more about the good things about wealth and how we can share that, there are three issues that St. Thomas Aquinas discusses with, with wealth. Um, and that 
things we should just be on the lookout for. So he says, number one is that wealth can burden us with the cares of the world. When, Mm. you know, so if we're constantly having to be in a very high level of business to be accumulating wealth, then the cares of the world and the business world are something that are on us all the time. Mm -hmm. This limits our ability to detach from earthly things and turn our focus to God. Secondly, the next problem with wealth is that it breeds within us a desire to keep acquiring more and more and more, right? It, that's hard. We yeah. are humans. Like once you get a little bit, you get these finer tastes. It is really hard to not want more. Thirdly, when we get wealthy, it makes us feel like we are special and unique. And this then separates us from our brothers and sisters around the world. It also makes us feel like we have accumulated that due to our own merits and our own work. And then we forget that God allowed this to happen to us, us, that he allowed us to accrue this wealth and that in truth, it can be taken away from you at any time. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, I guess that's why like wealth itself is not a sin, but Jesus did say it was uh, easier for a wealthy man to pass through the eye of a needle, right? No, no, a camel (laughs) (laughs) to pass through the eye of a needle. Although a man too, <laughs> that would also be hard. <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what Jesus means. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But like wealth itself is, is not sinful, no. but it does bring with it these extra temptations with it, you know, extra responsibilities, extra obligations, extra things that you're going to need to be on guard against. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So in the past, when you were able to get a little bit of money, and this is like probably less than 1% of the population, right? So, and it's mm-hmm. still almost to this day when you look at it worldwide, but let's talk about the pre-middle class era. Um, you really only had two options with your money. You could hoard it or you could spend it. There wasn't other ways to diversify your accounts and that sort of thing. So now in the world that we're in, we have a lot of opportunities to um, invest to give money to charities, like through donations, um, Mm -hmm. to hire staff on, right. And how to pay them. We just have a lot of other ways or to buy investment properties. There's just other ways to spend our money. Mm -hmm. So when we're making investments, the church implores us to do so with things in mind, like the protection of human life, the protection of human dignity, protection of the environment and the encouragement of companies that are doing socially responsible things. You mentioned before, Michelle, um, the earliest Christians, and you and I keep referencing that movie, Paul, Apostle of Christ, but we see there then that they were rescuing the Roman orphans off of the streets, right? They weren't Christian Mm -hmm. children that they were rescuing. They were like, if we leave right now, who will take care of these orphans? They were not being taken care of before. We know about the complete disregard for human life and dignity that the Roman culture had throwing babies away and all this stuff. And so mm-hmm. right from the earliest days, the church has really made it her focus to the provision of both the physical and spiritual needs of the people, establishing institutions that we take to, for granted today. The church started to feed and clothe and nurse back to health people and to educate all those who are in need. And when we look at all of those places that need us, it isn't just our money, our wealth, our gifts that come from God. Well, they're many. It's not just our bank accounts. What else have you been blessed blessed with that you can share? Um, Talents, strengths, intelligence, handiness, all of these things that we are being called upon to give in acts of charity to those who need them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the early Christians, that's what 
that's what I thought of too right away when we're talking about this issue of charity and what it's like to give, not just monetarily, but uh, in skills and talents as well, right? Like um, in that movie, Paul Apostle of Christ, like they really highlight Priscilla and Aquila, Mm -hmm. right? These two people who really provided sanctuary and a haven for many uh, of these early Christians, but they often went above and beyond themselves to service people, like you said, who weren't Christian. But what really struck me was this like combination. It was almost like the situation was so desperate that it required all hands on deck all the time. And you mm-hmm. still weren't totally sure if everything was going to be covered with. So you they gave everything that they personally had. Then they also took up collections, right? Mm-hmm. The church would take up collections and somebody using their means and situation in life would volunteer to bring it to them uh, through great peril of their own lives within that community they would have people who were doctors like luke in that movie Mm -hmm. is is the doctor Mm -hmm. and it's that is how the christian communities have always worked and we're told to go out and be that even to today in our own communities too The Second Vatican Council talked about this as well, and it declared that the common good seeks, quote, to make available to all men everything necessary for leading a truly human life, such as food, clothing, and shelter, the right to choose a state of life life freely, and to found a family, the right to education, to employment, to a good reputation, to respect, to appropriate information. This is not something that has ever changed from the beginning of scripture. We, you know, the church has been imploring us to look after one another. Let's stop waiting for the politicians, right? To feed the hungry Mm -hmm. and to clothe the naked. We are called to do those things. Jesus couldn't have been more clear when he said in Matthew 25, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you invited me in. These are the corporal acts of mercy that we are still called upon to do every day. And you might not have the extra money in your bank account to do that right now, but you might have those other gifts that we're talking about. But you also might be the type of person who is blessed with a little bit of extra money. And so whatever way you can give, whatever way you can be charitable, we're asking you to really consider that right now, especially right now, even though we're stuck in our houses, there's always a chance to be charitable and really to just step back and see your blessings as a way to extend blessings to others. Okay, it's time for our What We're Loving This Week segment of the show. So Lindsay, what have you been loving this week? Well, a few weeks ago, my daughter introduced me to a woman on YouTube that I immediately loved and her name, as you know, are you laughing because you picked the same thing? Yes. I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. I I gave you plenty of weeks. I gave you plenty. (laughs) All right. Then let's share it together. We both love Lee (laughs) Zeke. So I don't know if you did a little research, Michelle, into her background, um, but I did because that's what I do. (laughs) 
So I'll just share that um, Liz Lee Zikwi, and forgive our pronunciation, um, she's 30 years old this year. She had a really rough childhood. Her parents divorced, and then shortly thereafter, her father passed away. At 14, she dropped out of school and started working, living a busy and tumultuous life in the city. Even at one point, she was a, a DJ in a club. Um, then in 2012, her beloved grandmother, who anybody who watches her videos on YouTube mm. will know her grandmother, whose face is slightly blurred out, but you can still see her perfectly um what took to be quite ill and lee decided to move back to the country to take care of her grandmother she had learned to cook from her grandfather who catered weddings and other events and she learned very valuable farming and building skills over the years so she started posting some cooking videos that she filmed herself um, on some local chinese social media platforms and quickly grew very popular known as the quote oriental lifestyle foodie and she had a desire to show what was beautiful and calm, quiet, and just the country life and what traditional Chinese handicrafts and cooking look like. And now she is immensely popular. And I think you and I can both agree she's the epitome of the modern lady, right? Oh, my gosh. Yes. She's strong and talented, hardworking, but she's still softly feminine and walks around in these like ethereal flowing dresses. And she rides on horseback with fairy tale capes and she's stunning and she's nurturing and she's just everything. Lee Zikwi is all the things. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. My entire family is obsessed with her. Mm -hmm. Like it's become like an after dinner thing. My kids ask like, can we watch a Lee Zikwi? We call her Lee Zikwi. So, no, that's right. Yeah. I hope I we're mean, pronouncing I, it right too. I don't know. I, I made it like Spanish with Lizikwi. <laughs> Neither of us so speak sorry. Chinese. It's fine. No. <laughs> but yeah, she is both utterly fascinating and mesmerizing, um, mm -hmm. but also so calming. <laughs> yes. Right. And then at the same time, even so, it's so motivating. I think I've yeah. mentioned to you once before, like, I wish I could move like her because mm -hmm. she's so graceful yet purposeful. Like she mm -hmm. moves because she's doing something very yeah. specific. And yet, of course, it's a lot of video editing, I'm sure. But honest to goodness, you have to start with the Life of Cotton episode. Mm -hmm. That's the mm -hmm. first one you shared. <laughs> I was literally that emoji. <laughs> <laughs> An emoji with the head exploding. <laughs> Which I yep. realize I shouldn't say literally because obviously. Your head did not head explode. Doesn't... We get it. We get it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, like up to the point, my kids ask for it up to the point where like Thomas actually turned to me on numerous occasions and he's like, I'm just always hungry when I watch her things and we don't even know what she's cooking half the time no. because it's not in English and the subtitles aren't in English so and Phil if they are though sometimes they're terribly translated right it's like the funniest you're like okay that still didn't make sense <laughs> yes I I don't know I just look at the thumbnails and you're mm -hmm. right like any of the ones with her on a horse mm -hmm. like my girls are like what is she doing I'm like oh it says here she's like picking cherry blossoms for the cherry blossom festival on a yeah. horse that's yep. amazing so yeah. yeah i am a huge fan as well and i totally concur um charlotte is convinced that she is like 
a Cinderella story that she's going to find out that she's actually royalty and that she'll be <gasps> scooped up by a prince. And not saying she needs to be saved by a prince, y'all. I'm not doing that. But it's just that she sure. seems so uh, otherworldly that mm. you have to, like, that there's something else going on here with this girl who had had this terrible childhood and then all this poverty then scooped up and then now, like, embroiders her own clothing and well, you'll, as oh you said, goodness. that one, like, makes her own everything she makes her own tools and her own beds and then cooks the most delicious food um one of the things that gave me such joy is when you told me that your daughters were playing her like they were yes. playing role playing <laughs> as her out in your backyard yes yes and the best part of that was that my youngest the little sister she played the grandma <laughs> so, <laughs> That's the best. so claire's like running around the backyard pretending she's like this amazing blogger in rural china <laughs> like growing her own tools to make food yeah. with and yeah. um joanna is just like sitting on the deck like <laughs> yelling at her from across the yard yes, yes. it was the best yeah. yeah so if you feel like you want to feel totally inadequate about everything you've ever done in your life but also completely in awe of the most incredible woman you'll ever see on youtube check out Lee's Eki. Lee's Eki. <laughs> We'll put a link. I was just going to say, we'll put it in the show notes so that you don't have to try to interpret our poor pronunciations. Okay, that's going to do it for us this week. If you want to get in touch and chat with us about our topic today, you can find us on our website, www.themodernlady1950.wordpress.com or leave us a comment on Facebook or Instagram at The Modern Lady Podcast. I'm Michelle Sachs and you can find me on Instagram at mmsachs. And I'm Lindsay Murray and you can find me on Instagram at lindsayhomemaker. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week and we will see you next time. Thank you.